Welcome to Everything's Not Black and White, a podcast about perspectives with your hosts, Lala and Brian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. We have a very special guest here today, Michael Justice. He's been a longtime family friend of mine. We did uh, short films back in the day, and I worked with his amazing aunt for many, many years, one of my best friends. Uh, Michael is a fitness guru. He loves to motivate um, and encourage people. He has his own fitness company, Transcending Fitness, on Instagram. We'll help you figure that out a little bit later in the episode. But what I also appreciate about Michael is that he is a returning citizen, which means he was formerly incarcerated. And we want to talk about the stigma that people still have in society around people who have been incarcerated and how they are trying to rehabilitate their lives and start over with a livelihood. So welcome, Michael Justice, to the show. Thank you. Glad you're here, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So why don't we just give our listeners a little bit of your backstory. So talk about just you growing up and a little bit about your life. I grew up right here on the south end of Columbus. I had a void I was trying to fill throughout my life. One night, tired of trying to fill that void, and I tried to commit suicide, basically. I've talked about this in videos, so I didn't have a gun. I didn't have a bridge nearby to jump off of, so I'm in this backseat of this car after being rejected this night and blowing my whole paycheck at the bar. I decided to end it all right then and there. And like I said, I didn't have a bridge nearby to jump off of, and I didn't have a gun, so I just didn't know how I was going to do it. This girl's driving me home, and I see these cops sitting out by my driveway, and I say, just let me out right here. I had remembered this scene in a movie from this movie called Wisdom back in the 80s where the guy pulls the gun out on the police and they shoot him. So I think, okay, that's what I'm going to do, death by cop. I'm just going to try to take this cop's gun. They're going to shoot me or I'm going to get the gun out and use it on myself. Either way, it's going to end the night. So that's what I tried to do. Last thing I remember was my head hitting the concrete. I wake up the next day in the county jail facing 25 to life. So it was my first offense and the judge was merciful. So he gave me a three to 10 year sentence in Pickaway Correctional Institute, which means that I can at least do three years or I can do 10 depending on my behavior. Some friends of mine told me to get into every program I could to look good for the parole board. So I did. I got into cognitive behavioral therapy, rational motive therapy, the OASIS program, everything they offered. I ended up getting my GED while I was in there. I ended up attending some college courses and it worked. But the thing is, is when I say it worked, it worked for the parole board, but it also worked on me. You know, I was in there with the wrong intention of just looking good for the parole board, but eventually some of those things they were saying started to sink in. It started to make sense. And a lot of what they were saying was talking about how alcohol and drugs weren't the only issue. It was really my thinking because if you think about it, you know, there's this big, I don't know, I guess it's a misconception that drugs and alcohol are an issue, which they are an issue, but it's only a symptom of the issue because there's a reason why people choose to do it. So what I learned is before I picked up that drug and alcohol, I thought about picking it up. So why did I think about picking it up, right? That was the main problem. And that's what I had to get in touch with. Yeah. So when you talk about a little bit about trying to fill a void, like what was going through your mind to the point where it made you feel like you wanted 
to commit suicide and to the point where you would give up your freedom for even three to 10 years. A lot of that was rejection and trying to figure out who I was, which I still don't know that. I'm, I guess I'm by default, I figured out who I was by figuring out who I wasn't. I went through that life and realized this wasn't for me. There was a lot of good people that I met in prison, counselors and programmers and other inmates that encouraged me. But my biggest catalyst was the bad times in prison. There's a vivid memory I have, and I think about it often. I'm going to the cafeteria, and they have juice on this day. It's breakfast time. And they don't always have juice, so it was like a luxury when they do. And they run out of, it looks like they run out of orange juice on my side of the line. There's two chow lines meeting in the middle. So they run out of orange juice and they put pineapple juice there. And I think, okay, well, I hate pineapple juice, but I love orange juice, right? So I think to myself, I'm just going to ask this guard if I can get orange juice instead. So I asked the guard, hey, we're out of, you know, hey, I don't like pineapple juice. Do you mind if I grab orange juice? He says, you guys think this is a hotel, don't you? Sit down. Now, granted, the intake process, you know, going through when you first get initiated into prison, they give you a token, they strip you down, shave your head, all these kinds of things. That was no picnic either. And a lot of people, that's their worst memory of prison. When I went through that whole process, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. It was so surreal. You know, it was like it was happening, but I was going through the motions. It didn't affect me. But at that moment, when that guard just treated me like that, I felt like my humanity was taken. It wasn't just my freedom. And as hard as that was, I'm grateful for that guard. Because when I think about all the times that I had and all the encouragement and all the good people that I met in there, those affected me, but not like that did. When that guard said that to me, it affected me, and I remember it vividly. I remember everything about that situation. When I got out later and thought about making bad choices, I remembered that conversation with that guard. And so to answer that question about the void, I was trying to fill that void by trying to find my identity. But the more I tried to do that through like drugs and alcohol and bad choices, the emptier I became. So you spent the three years. So did you get the parole board to decide to let you go early or how how long did you actually spend incarcerated? When it was all said and done, I did a little under three years. They gave me jail time credit. And when I went to the parole board, I had, you know, I had pretty much achieved everything I could while I was in there. And I think that convinced them. So when you got out, how how did people view you? Did you feel like they looked at you differently after you served or was it the same as when you before you went in or how was that different? Oh, it was absolutely different. I couldn't get a job. I basically, I did any job that I could. I came out of there basically, like I said, I had a GED and some culinary arts experience. Yeah, it was very difficult to find a job and sometimes I wouldn't take no for an answer. You know, I would basically do too much follow-up. A City Lab article I was reading reported that about 12.5% of employers would take a chance on someone who has a felony on their record. How, how does that make you feel? That's definitely a factor when you go into it. I, I knew there was a good chance I wasn't going to get that job when I applied. And I can understand from an employer's perspective, especially if you have like a violent charge on your record and you're dealing with customers, why they wouldn't want to hire that employee. But I think that when they make their mind up before they meet that person, I think they're missing out on something. And that is if you have employee A and you have employee B, employee A doesn't have a record and employee B does. Employee A 
when you hire that person, you know, they're basically getting what they deserve. They will probably do a good job for you, but they can get 10 jobs just like that, most likely, right? Because they don't have that record. Employee B that has the record is more likely to give you some loyalty. They're going to be more appreciative. They're going to look at that job, not like they deserve it, but as a blessing. I know, you know, working a lot, I've been on the board of Healing Broken Circles, which is a nonprofit that specifically works with people who are incarcerated up at the Marion Correctional Facility. And I've been doing that for about four years now. And it always breaks my heart to when you go and you visit with the gentlemen who are up there and how they feel less than human in a lot of ways that people think they can treat them anyway because they've landed themselves in a prison situation. And it actually, what you said earlier, really resonated with me because it does. there's a dehumanization of people once they've had to serve. And even after you've finished your time, it's still difficult to come back into return into society because people still hold it against you. So part of that, you know, I guess I'm more frustrated is that after someone has served their time and they've done their penance, why are they continually punished after they come back out? You know, that whole dehumanization part, when someone feels that way, they kind of own that. They start to own that. And if they're in there too long and if they keep that identity, it's not good for a company either. Mm -hmm. Because part of what most companies want is for you to be yourself and to have and to bring your compassion and bring that human aspect. But when you felt dehumanized, you probably lose that. When you were talking about the educational portion that you received while you were in prison, from what you were telling me previously when I was talking to you, that really accelerated your desire to to further educate yourself. And can you tell me a little bit about how that has helped you moving forward? They had two courses available where I was at in Pickaway, and I'm extremely grateful for both opportunities we had. Sanitation services or culinary arts. And I didn't do anything with the culinary arts experience that I received while I was in there, but it it turned that wheel, basically. It taught me, okay, I can still pursue an education. I can still, even getting my GED was uh, a major accomplishment at the time because I didn't care before I got locked up. You know, I had dropped out of high school, didn't see much of a future, didn't have any hope. So just those small programs they did offer was was tremendous for my life. It had a huge impact because like I said, it started that wheel turning. It started to just develop a foundation of, wow, I can further my education. It's not over. And it's just one factor. You know, when you look at rehabilitation as a whole, what it really is, is basically recovery. And I say that because when you're trapped in an addiction, part of the problem is you're only focused on that addiction because it's all you have. Most of the people that are incarcerated are addicted to something, right? I had a clinical manager I used to work with used to say 99% of the people incarcerated have an addiction and the other percent are in denial. And she was joking, but really it's, it's true. I mean, there's a very small percentage of people that are incarcerated that aren't addicted to something. I mean, you have a rare, you know, you got the people that sell drugs and you have people that have the emotional disorders or personality disorders that just have anger issues for whatever reason. But, but most of the people in there are addicted to something. So when you get an education, it doesn't do anything to the addiction, but it gives you something to focus on. So have either one of you heard of the Rat Park experiment? No. No, I've so, heard of that. So 
early in the 20th century, you guys have seen these studies they did where they would take rats in cages and they would give it heroin or cocaine and basically it's inevitable, right? The rat would keep taking the, the cocaine or heroin, whatever it is, until they die. Well, this psychologist came around in the late 70s. His name was Bruce Alexander. And he thought, well, no wonder it's only doing the heroin or cocaine. That's all it has. So he came up with this thing called a rat park. And basically what he did was in this park, he gave them the drugs, but he also put other rats in it and he put toys and cheese and other stuff. So they tried the drug, but they also chose the other things. It opened up a new idea when you look at addiction. So it's always been thought that it's biological or that the drug is so powerful. But basically this, this experiment, this study gave us a, a better understanding of it because Basically what it's saying is, yeah, those are all still factors, but this is a good way to attack the addiction is by adding more productive things in one's life. And it, it really verifies what I've always thought about it, and that is addiction isn't a problem you have. It's what you lack. That's, that sounds exactly right. And I think, you know, just talking with the different folks that I've talked to through the Marion experience is exactly that. It's like you have to take them out of the environment in which they got into trouble in the first place to be able to get an alternative um, activities to help them get through and, and experience a different thing. So, yeah, I think that creates some of the challenges when he's, when people get released and when you go to put the application, you got to check that box and then they're not getting a job opportunities that they need to move forward. So what do they fall back on? They fall back on their old way of life, their old friends, the community they grew up in, uh, because that's what they know and that's how they, they've gotten by. And so it, it makes it challenging when you constantly force people to put that on the application, first of all, and then you're constantly holding over the head to someone made a mistake. Anybody can make a mistake. I myself have made a mistake. I had a fourth degree felony placed against me. Fortunately, I had the parents that had the money to lawyer up, but not everybody has that opportunity. Not everybody has those financial needs or that or the parental support. So it, it's important for people to understand just because someone goes to prison doesn't mean they're a bad guy. Now, they're talking in, in the state of Ohio, there's a 30 percent uh, return rate of prisoners in the first three years. So that's that's almost 70 percent of people they have a three-year window where they could really make some moves. But if you constantly hold their hands behind their back, then you're going to constantly have issues with recovery. Yeah. And I think it's just a stigma, too. You know, you said it was hard when you came back out. And I think a lot of society today, they turn their nose and eyes down on people who have served time instead of looking at them as a human who made a mistake and give someone a second or third or fourth chance because most of us couldn't survive without having multiple chances to do things the right way, right? But yeah, I just go back to what I said earlier about if an employer has a chance to hire a felon, and I don't think having a felony should put you above another candidate that doesn't have one, but I don't think it should disqualify you either because like you said, you have to check that box. There were, there were times, honestly, I hate to admit this, but I wouldn't check that box. I would leave it blank. I wouldn't lie on it and say no, but I would leave it blank and at least get an opportunity to get an interview. At least let them tell me I'm not the right candidate to my face because they're only looking at that application and it looks so bad. It's such a, um, it's a, it's a scar, you know, that you have to carry that felony with you. And there's actually a program now that's really good called Ties. And... I, 
I could be wrong on this, but I believe that when you complete the program, you get your record sealed or at least are eligible for that, at least are eligible to get your record sealed when you complete it. Have you started that process? through? You know, I have, but I didn't follow through with it because the laws at the time weren't conducive to me getting it sealed at the time, but I'm going to look into that again very soon. Yeah, I think it's I think that's a valuable tool to get that expunged or, or hidden on your record uh, because who you've become now and the person I've always known, I never knew this younger version of you, but the person I had known is nothing like what I'm hearing. So you telling me these stories, I never would have guessed it because you're such a, a class act and a nice individual and you've done a lot of things after prison system. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've done in your life since you've been out and how you've been able to move forward? Oh yeah, thank you. So when I got out of prison, I didn't have anything except for the the willingness to do just about anything. When I got out of prison, I I didn't have anything except my GED, and I was willing to work hard. But I also had the desire to be a counselor and work with felons in some type of capacity. So I was working at this job where this was the most successful I had been up to this point. I was working at a warehouse, and I was what was called a training specialist. I had been promoted. They were sending me out of town to, to to develop training programs, and I was doing really well. And I'm reading the newspaper, and I see my old institution in there, and it's talking about the program I was in called Oasis. And I'm like, man, and that just sparked that desire again. And I, you know, I had been thinking up to that point, like, man, this is a great job, but I just felt like I was destined to do something different, even though this was the most successful I had been up to this point. It wasn't just about success. It was more about doing what I know I was meant to do. And right after I read that article, it was either, it might have been that day or later in that week, I'm driving down the street and I'm literally two blocks from my house. This is either just a crazy coincidence or divine intervention. I don't know. But I run into this guy, Bill, that I knew while I was in there. And him, we, we had started this program together from day one. And we went through all the phases of this program together. We're in these small groups together, four or five people. We're in this, we're doing this counseling together. And we, I'm like, Hey Bill, you know, this is crazy. How you doing? And, you know, we're talking and catching up and I'm telling him what I'm doing. He's telling me what he's doing. He had actually relapsed and got in some trouble again. I said, you know, man, I want to get into counseling again. And he said, I just got kicked out of the CBCF program. He said, you should check that out. He said, that counseling that they do there is a lot like what we did in Pickaway. I said, really? I said, where's this at? And the place was right down the street from my house. I'd been there for how many every years, and I never even knew it existed. So I go in there and just just to inquire what I would need to get a job, not thinking I actually had a chance to get a, a job there. I look at the, the qualifications and that, and I'm like, man, I have these things. you know. And I put in an application, not expecting much in return. you know. I get a call for an interview. And I go in there and do an interview and I'm in the car and I'm thinking, okay, don't, don't say anything about you being a prison. You know, that's your past. I'm like, don't say anything about prison. I go in there and they ask me, so what's, why do you think you're suitable for this job? Well, first of all, I've been to prison. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, and I'm like, man, that's the, what am I, I I get back in the car after that interview and I'm kicking myself like, man, what am I doing? You know, like, man, you blew it. You but blew, that, you know? that just goes to show your character, though, because yeah. you were uncomfortable lying. So yeah. that just shows right. your character. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kicking myself and I'm thinking, man, you you blew your chances. You know, you had your foot in the door. And anytime I have my foot in the door to get an interview, I'm telling you, 
85% of the time I could sell myself for the job. Even once the felony came up, I could usually work my way around it. But I thought there was no way. They called me for a second interview and the director there believed in second chances. He believed what I've always believed and that the best person to work with a felon is an ex-felon because they understand that battle. And that was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. Even though I worked really hard at Superior Tool and Die and worked really hard at Buckeye Steeled Up was physical labor, but it was nothing compared to the conflict I felt once I started working in that correctional facility because here I am on the outside now and I'm supervising and I'm in there doing shakedowns and patting people down. And it wasn't that long ago that I was on the other side of that. But yeah. what that did for me, for one thing, it conflicted me. But two, it gave me an appreciation for the correctional, you know, it gave me an appreciation for criminal justice. I looked at that from a complete different aspect. I kind of understood that guard, the guard that I told you about earlier. I can understand why people in that field become indifferent and be, and 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 lose their compassion because when you do that job, it can be real discouraging. It's a ro rotating door. You might pour your heart into a guy and you see him return. You know, that, that can be real discouraging. But coming from where I came from, I could never lose my compassion because I was just that person. You know, I, I'd see that kid that most people would see unlovable or unlikable. And I see his potential. And um, that's what helped me do what I do. That's been awesome. And you're doing that now, even through your fitness practice. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about transcending fitness? So I, I will post a video and it's all about the psychological part. Of fitness and somebody might say well what's that have to do with fitness well that has everything to do with fitness but not just fitness with all aspects of life it all starts with the mentality right it all starts with our psyche our channel is called transcending fitness because we are transcending fitness because it's more than just about fitness if you want to get into shape though and you want to transform your body you must first transform your mind and the same thing applies to rehabilitation recovery getting out of prison getting that good job you got to if you want to transform your life you got to transform your mind that's wonderful. And you are now, you're married and you have a beautiful daughter. And you, want to, you want to give her a shout out? Good. Yeah. Hey, Destiny, if you're listening to this, she don't listen to any of my videos, but I love <laughs> well, you, Maybe buddy. she will listen to our podcast because she, she does. She loves Lala. La, love Lala. <laughs> oh, she does? Good. She does. <laughs> well, you know, as our listeners are thinking about everything that you said today, what is it that you want to leave them with to help them think differently about people who are currently or have been formerly incarcerated. My rehabilitation has, hasn't been linear, you know, and I don't think most people's are. Mine looked, if you look at mine, like on a graph, it would look more like an EKG than a linear bar. So, <laughs> so if you, you know, the main thing is if you fall down, you relapse, you get locked back up for whatever reason, just don't stop fighting that fight. Don't give up on your dreams. You know, you start to find your aspirations and you find out who you are by finding out who you're not. None of us are meant to be locked up. I mean, I think that when I was locked up, it definitely served its purpose. It taught me a lot and it made me who I am. So I'm grateful for that experience, but I wasn't meant to stay there. And I don't think anyone else is either. And to prove your point about how people, how far your rehabilitation has gone, you are two classes from graduating with yeah a bachelor degree in criminal justice now folks that is amazing i mean it's who wonderful. who would have thought when you started listening to mike earlier in this podcast 
to find out the end, this guy's almost got his bachelor's degree and he's well on his way to becoming everything he's ever dreamed about being. That's, that is proof right there. Yeah. People just need opportunity and they need access to those opportunities. And we as a society have got to do better with treating people as human beings and not discarding them. With that being said, we're going to wrap up the show here. Mike, do you have anything uh, you want to promote? Yeah. uh, My fitness channel is on YouTube. It's called Transcending Fitness. And even if fitness isn't your cup of tea, I'm sure you'll get something out of it. There are parodies on there, comedy skits, short films, documentaries, all types of stuff. So if you want to get into better shape, watch it. Or if you just want to get motivated and watch something entertaining, check it out. Yeah, he, he just recently did his uh, top five movie reviews to watch under quarantine, which yeah. I thought was I thought was interesting and it was, it was well put together. Uh, so yeah, check it out. It was, that was a lot of fun to uh, watch. Yeah, so awesome. So also, if you want to get in touch with us, if this uh, particular episode touched you in a certain way, let us know at enbwpodcast at gmail.com. That's enbwpodcast at gmail.com. This here show is sponsored by LBB Edutainment. That is La La's professional company. Check that out and uh, see what all she has to offer. Thank you. And we appreciate you so much, Mike, for being here with us today. Hey, thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. It's been an honor. I really appreciate you guys. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Goodbye. This has been Everything's Not Black and White, a podcast about perspectives with your hosts, Lala and Brian a production of LBB Edutainment.